The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting issue of the Major Spoilers podcast. I'm Steven Schlanker. This week, another interview, this time with another comic book writer. You may have heard of his name. His name is Matthew Sturgis. He writes comic books. He's the mind behind the Eisner Award-winning, or the Eisner Award-nominated Jack of Fables from DC Vertigo. He writes the Blue Beetle backups stories in Booster Gold, Justice Society of America, House of Mystery, and he's got the upcoming JSA All-Star series coming out uh, next month. Matthew, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, first of all, we ought to let people know that you work at Starbucks. No, that's not quite, quite right. <laughs> Yes, I do my work at Starbucks. <laughs> I, I don't technically work at Starbucks, although I come here so often, I feel like if my writing career failed, I think I'd be a shoe-in for a job here. Well, it's been it's been way too long since you've been last on the show. The last time you were here was over a year ago, and we were talking about mm-hmm. Blue Beetle and how much fun Blue Beetle has, and then it seems like the very next month, cack, the Blue Beetle series yeah. got canceled. So you might yeah, want to be sure a little did. you might want to be a little careful around us because hopefully you know, <laughs> it's not some kind of a curse. Uh, yeah, if you guys do turn out to be a jinx, I'm going to be pretty upset. Yeah, well, we hope not to be. But Blue Beetle, even though they canceled the series, it's still a project that you're writing through uh, through the backup with Mister Gold. How is that working out? Is it mm-hmm. a lot different writing a shorter eight page backup than say a full twenty two page issue? It is. It's actually ten pages, although that's not that much longer than eight um it's it's still a difficult length to write to especially in an ongoing series you know writing house of mystery i'm used to doing short stories because we have a short story in every single issue right so i'm not unfamiliar with writing to that length but you know the biggest challenge has been doing an ongoing story that stretches over several issues which uh you know can be tough doing it 10 pages at a time and, you know, what I've tried to do is go back and look at the, the Steve Ditko strips that he did mm-hmm. uh, for the Charlton Blue Beetle, and he managed to pack a lot of stuff into a page, you know. So I've, I've tried to keep it, you know, as dense as possible without seeming like it's, you know, crammed into the space, but to make it feel like you're getting something for that extra dollar, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, sure. Now, in this, now, are you writing, I mean, it's, as you said, it's it's ten pages, at a time, but do you kind of build it up into a three-act structure where, you know, like the first issue of 10, or the first 10 pages might be build up, the second 10 pages is the middle part, and then the last 10 pages is the end, the third act? Well, that's certainly how we did the first story. It was a three-parter, and it definitely sort of was set up in a a three-act structure, just like that, the classic Robert McKee uh, three-act story. Um, That story lent itself to that setup, and, uh, you know, we, I wanted to make sure that there was lots of robots getting punched yeah. in each issue. And, and I think that that worked out pretty well. And then the next story was, was two issues, so that was a little two-parter. And then we've got another little two-parter coming up. So we'll see how it goes. And then at the same time, you're trying to tell your Blue Beetle stories. But because he's part of the DC Universe, that affects or intersects with all the other ongoing, such as... Uh, Booster Gold 25 that features the uh, the Darkest Night tie-in, or I'm sorry, the Blackest Night tie-in. 
Right, 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 right. <clears throat> that, that issue actually came out today. Okay, well, then it today came out three Wednesday. days ago, people who are listening <laughs> listening now. But is it different then to try to go from the stories that you're telling and then suddenly you have to pop into, uh, you know, a, a big universe-spanning company-wide event? Well, that's always something that you have to be prepared for when you're writing superhero comics. Um, so, I, you know, I'm fairly used to it at this point. Um, and it's fun to get to tie into to bigger things that, that are going on. You know, that said, my contribution to the Blackest Night tie-in wasn't, uh, was fairly negligible. Uh, you know, Dan Jerkins did, did all of the heavy lifting on that. Ah, okay. So I, I, I managed to kind of elude that, that whole business. Um, but yeah, that's, that's something that happens and it'll happen in JSA All-Stars and, um, you know, we'll, we'll be ready for it and we always try to make the most of it. Well, let's let's just pretend that I've already read uh, the Booster Gold 25 issue that came out today, but mine probably won't be here until Thursday or Friday. So let me just say it's a fantastic uh, issue. I'm hoping you're patting yourself on the back each and every time. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure it came out great. <laughs> <laughs> now, you had mentioned JSA All-Stars. This is a brand new series that that you're taking on solo. Can you give us a little bit of background of what this series is about and, and uh, kind of what we might see in the first couple of issues? Sure, you bet. Well, you know, there was a long lead-up to the split of the JSA. Right. And this has been, you know, this is obviously an emotional time for the team, and tempers were running high, and there was all the fallout from the, the big GOG storyline. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's in the wake of that that this new team has been formed, the JSA is trying to maintain itself as a team, and so almost as kind of a, a bulwark against that, uh, Power Girl, with Magog's help, has formed this little squad within the team uh, with a different mission than the, or I should say a, an enhanced mission or a slightly repurposed mission from the main JSA, which is to train these younger members to be the most effective fighting squad that they can possibly be. Um, I, I came up with the, the phrase today that it's like superhero college. Mm -hmm. So that, uh, you know, you've got the, the old guys out there doing what they've been doing for years and years and years. They're a well-oiled team. But you've got a bunch of new kids on this uh, all-stars team, some of whom have seen only the smallest little bit of actual combat. So the goal here is to take these guys and to give them as much training as possible so that they can go on and uh, be effective members of other teams or go out and fight solo, whatever it is they sort of choose to do as they mature. Mm -hmm. And that's the goal of, of the All-Stars. It's kind of like, um, I'm a big fan of, of movies and stories where people train to do things, like the right stuff, yeah. uh, an officer and a gentleman. So that, you know, that's kind of my my guiding star writing this book. I want you to see how it is that superheroes get trained and how that training affects how they fight and how it affects their relationships. And, um, you know, the, the goal is to make it as intense uh, and emotionally challenging and draining as possible on these folks. Has, was this series something that was thought up early on in the, in the Justice Society storyline? Because it just seemed like all of a sudden you had seven characters in the beginning and then before you knew it, there were 45 people in the, in the Justice Society. <laughs> And and all of the and it was all due because they were bringing in these legacy characters, um, right? And then now it seems like, and I'm looking at the cover to number one right now, all these legacy characters are now in in this new series, 
or the legacy well, uh, think, heroes? Sure. Well, I think it grew up sort of organically since uh, the beginning of the uh, the reboot that Jeff Johns did uh, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And he added all these folks. And then when Phil Williams and I were approached to do the, the two books, this was an idea that came up um you know, well over a year ago. So it, it's been in the works for a while, yeah. Ah, uh, okay. All right. Now, who pitched Who pitched this idea? Was it you guys, you and Bill Willingham, pitching it to D.C.? Did they come to you and say, let's do this? How does that How does that work? How do you get your own series with D.C. Comics? How do you get your own series <laughs> with D.C. Comics? <laughs> the big question. I, I was fortunate enough in that uh, D.C. came to us uh, and asked us to do the book. Okay. So, I, you know, we got... We were extremely fortunate uh, in that, you know, we were able to do it, and Phil and I had worked together very well, and the idea of, of having the two teams kind of suited the way that Phil and I, you know, work at, you know, our similarities and our differences. Right. So um, it was really just a, a very serendipitous kind of thing. Well, and and again... Uh, and obviously, and obviously we left this chance to do it. Right. The... Interesting thing, and we've talked about this before, is that you and Bill Willingham have had a long relationship with one another, going back mm-hmm. now well over a decade. Yes. And so it's interesting to see how Bill moves into a project, and then, and this is something that's probably, you know, it's it's got to be a friend thing. I want to keep my friends with me and help them out as much as possible. <laughs> then Matthew comes on board and starts writing some s- stories. A, a good example is Fables, and then Jack of Fables. <laughs> And then this uh, mm-hmm. Fables crossover that you guys just had recently. And now, just sure. uh, last week, Cinderella, um, you know, the, the secret agent of Fable Town, is another clockwork mm-hmm. storybook person coming on board and doing some things. Yes, well, we're taking over the world. <laughs> well, it's um, certainly, it's you know, certainly it, an interesting it's way so to do it. It's not so much about friends. Um, it, I'm sorry, where, was there more? No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. Uh, it, it's not so much about friends as it is about writers you can trust. Ah, okay. So with with Bill, um, you know, obviously the the Fable Enterprise means a great deal to him, mm-hmm. and if he's going to let someone else work on it, he wants it to be somebody that he knows and trusts. You know, taking the reins. Right. And um, so, you know, my relationship with Bill, you know, although we are friends and we do talk quite a bit, you know, our our role as co-conspirators or writers <laughs> is you know separate from our friendship, and it has different rules, and I suspect that's the same with Chris Robertson. Um, you know, we, we started Clockwork Storybook a long time ago right. as a prose writers group, um, and that was how, you know, we became friends, and we, we got to know each other, and, you know, more importantly, we got to know each other's writing styles, and so mm-hmm. when it came time to do Jack of Fables, you know, I knew how Bill worked, and I knew how he wrote, and he knew how I worked and how I wrote. And we knew that, that it was, uh, you know, we were really compatible because during the Clockwork Service days, we had worked on projects together and we knew that we had sensibilities that were similar and, mm-hmm. you know, skills that could complement one another. And so that, that's really the main thing. You know, I, I hate, you know, to give the impression it's kind of like this boys club where, uh, you know, we get together and say, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to get all my buddies to come and do it and it's going to be fate and we're going to take over the world like that. You know, it's, it's, not really like that. Um, I, at least, I, you know, I like to think that uh, there's more to it than that. Well, but I mean, it just, it's nice, though, that you can find colleagues, friends, like you said, who you can trust, but you also have a personal relationship with. And maybe there is this idea that 
you know what? Here is somebody that's my friend and somebody who can do good work. Let's mm-hmm. bring them on board. I mean, that's certainly how our website came about where, you know, Matthew and I knew each other in college and I knew his work. And so when I needed someone to write something specific, that's the first person mm-hmm. I thought of. And sure. so it's, well, you know, there's a saying in, in writing, uh, working with editors that, uh, you know, a good writer has to be uh, on time, likable and talented. Uh, and as long as you've got two of those, uh, <laughs> editors will keep hiring you, right? Right. Um, right. And so I, I think if it's someone who, you know, you have that relationship with, then they know, you know, which two you've got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hopefully some, you know, a little bit of all three. So can you talk a little bit about the collaboration process? Because I know you and Bill have done it together on specific books, but then you've also had mm-hmm. to do crossovers where you're doing Jack of Fables, he's doing Fables in the uh, big crossover event that happened, or mm-hmm. you're doing something in, in Booster Gold or, or those kinds of things. Talk about collaboration. How do writers, what are some effective ways that writers can collaborate together? Well, you know, it, it comes about in different ways, and it, you know, has a lot to do with the relationships between those writers. Mm-hmm. Um, now, working with, with Willingham is very easy because we've known each other for so long and because we've worked so well together in the past. So we have, you know, that kind of telepathy where, you know, when we talk to each other, we talk in shorthand and, you know, we laugh a lot and, and, you know, we kind of understand usually where the other person is coming from without having to get to explain you about it. You know what I mean? Right, right. So, so when we do Jack of Fables, it's very much a kind of, you know, we get together and we talk and we sort of plot out our mischief. Uh, and then we each go to our separate benches and, and start writing. Um, and sometimes, you know, we swap off, you know, pages back and forth, sometimes it's entire issues back and forth, um, you know, but we have that, that trust relationship, so mm-hmm. that makes it really easy to do Jack of Fables. It's, Jack is, you know, when that book comes up in my rotation, it's one of those things that I, that I always really look forward to, because I know it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, do you, and, um, yeah, do, do you and Bill actually physically get together at Starbucks and sit down and go over pages, or is it an email thing, or... Do you use technology like Google Wave to share information in real time? Well, Bill would be the first to admit that he is not tech friendly. Ah, so okay. <laughs> as, as much as uh, as much as you know, we, we might want to do something that sophisticated. We we really don't. Um, it, we, we did manage to figure out how to use the the track changes feature and mark the buffer <laughs> together. That was a big a big step in the right direction. Okay, but um, but because you know, Bill. Bill doesn't live in Austin anymore, and I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to do everything remotely, except uh, when we were working on the... Uh, it so happened that we were working on the, the Great Fables crossover and the, the issues of JSA that we covered at about the same time. And so mm-hmm. I went to Las Vegas, where Bill was living at the time, and stayed for about a week, and we sat down and hammered all that stuff out uh, and went over it page by page and wrote quite a bit of it. Uh, sitting in the same room, sort of dueling laptops, mm-hmm. and uh, that's how we managed to get all of that stuff coordinated. Okay, all right. So I think you were going to talk about some other collaboration successes or, or thoughts on that. Yeah, and well, the other collaborations that I've done, like, you know, when I did Salvation Run, for instance, it, it tied in with, with Catwoman, mm-hmm. and so that was more like conference calls with editors and trying to get things, you know, lined up together. Right now, I'm doing uh, co-writing a, a JSA annual with Keith Giffen, mm. which I, I was actually working on when you called. Oh, okay. And that's you know that's a different dynamic because 
it's, you know, Keith Giffen. And yeah. so for me, having, you know, one of my comic book heroes co-writing something with me, it's, you know, a little harder for me to get up in his face and say, no, Keith, that's not how we're going to do it. We're going to do it my way or the highway, you know. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to do that. So, um, so, but that's, you know, been a lot of fun in a kind of different way. It's like to see how, here's this guy who's been doing this for a very long time, kind of how he operates and how he thinks about stories. And so that's been, you know, a lot of fun, but in a completely different way. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I guess then the, the next logical question would be, if you've got Chris now writing over at uh, DC Vertigo, when does Mark Finn get pulled into this so that the uh, that the <laughs> that you get the all four bases loaded there, or, or hit that the, out of the yeah, park the, or whatever? Yeah, the core. Yeah, the core original Clockwork Storybook uh, membership. Uh, I don't know. You know, that's that's up to Mark Finn. You know, he is. The thing about Mark is that the, the things that he writes and gravitates towards are, are maybe not the same sensibility that, that Vertigo has. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, right now he's writing a really terrific uh, book about uh, an old boxer named Sailor Tom Sharkey. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, that um, you know, the early part of the, cent- of the 20th century, uh, and it's like, you know, um, you know, this sort of mook of a, a boxer who gets involved in all these crazy situations. The stories are a lot of fun, but, you know, I don't know, is that a Vertigo book? I don't know. Who knows what a Vertigo book is? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it, there, there's an example of where, you know, it's, it, you know, it's more than just being buddies. There's sensibilities right. involved. And, right, right. You know, Mark's a wonderful writer who does wonderful things, but I don't know if, if it's a, a love connection, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't um, know. That's perfectly and, understandable. Mm-hmm. You, you, uh... So we've been talking about Clockwork Storybook, and this is a a writing group that you, the four of you, were working on for many years and doing some. Uh, what was it? Inter, what do you call it? Interconnected universe building or something? What was what, what's the phrase that you used? Uh, it was a shared. It was shared. An, uh, what was the phrase? It was an online shared world anthology yes. of urban fantasy or something. Right, like right. That, yeah. Excellent series. You can still kind of find it here and there. Uh, but you guys, for mm-hmm. a while, had kind of just shut down the site and have done nothing with it. But then in, what, the last yep. six months or so, you guys have started up clockworkstorybook.blogspot.com, and you're starting mm-hmm. to do more writing again. Yes. And um, Well, here's, here's how that came about. Um, a couple years ago, uh, Bill was writing, uh, began writing Peter and Max, his uh, new Fables novel. Right. And he, because he's Bill and he likes to do things in kind of a grand fashion, he rented out Rudyard Kipling's old house in Vermont. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, you know, it was a, a, a big house and, and he didn't want to get lonely, I guess. So he <laughs> called the original Clockwork Gang and invited us all out there to, uh, to have a writing retreat, which turned out to be just a fantastic time. I mean, it was really, really great. And so while we were out there, we decided to make it an annual event which we have done um, now two more times. And uh, so we, we started talking recently about, well, what, what more could we do with this Clockwork Storybook thing? And um, one of the things that we realized was that we could add more members. It didn't just have to be the original group, uh, plus Bill Williams, who's another writer that uh, kind of got invited along in at that first retreat. Mm-hmm. And so we asked a few more people to join the club, um, those being Paul Cornell, uh, who's a fantastic writer who's done lots of great stuff for Marvel and has written a few episodes of Doctor Who. Yes, exactly. We've got uh, Marjorie Liu. We've got Marjorie Liu, the novelist who's also working for uh, Marvel right now. We've got Mark Andreco, who uh, who has written the, as he calls it, the off-canceled Manhunter. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and um, and Daryl Gregory, who is a, a prose writer, is a fantastic, uh, fantastic guy who wrote a novel called Pandemonium that was uh, nominated for a World Fantasy Award this year. Excellent. And so we we kind of picked people that we thought would would really sort of enhance that conversation. And so we tried to make that software service blog and are, and really are working to make it a place where people can go and, and talk about writing and writers and all sorts of writey type stuff. And so far we've had a lot of fun and success with it. And that's one thing that we should point out is that it's not the continuing story of the Clockwork Storybook universe. This is a discussion on writing and art and mechanics and these kinds of things. Absolutely. Um, we, we have always had at these Clockwork Storybook retreats, we have these great conversations about craft and, and story uh, and how to make these things go. And so at some point it occurred to us, you know, we should share these discussions uh, somehow because, you know, other people might, might get something out of it. We love talking about it so much, certainly someone else must too. And so that's kind of the impetus to make that go. Well, you have posted, there's a great article up there right now that I think it looks like everybody is taking a crack at the topic. But you posted mm-hmm. this, was it yesterday, two days ago or so? Um, I think it was yesterday. This commentary oh, on... Four days ago, I should <laughs> depending say. Depending on when we listen. Uh, what do we owe our readers? What do you right. owe the readers as a writer? I know as a director, uh, I owe something to the viewers at home. And as somebody who's producing a podcast, I owe something to the people who are downloading and listening to this podcast. But what do you as a, as a writer owe to the reader? Sure. Well, what I what I said in in the article was that you know, we we owe what we owe the reader is to fulfill the promises that we make in our stories. So the basic idea is that every story comes with a few promises built in. You know, for instance, if I'm writing a superhero comic, that's already a promise that I've made. Mm-hmm. You know, I've promised that you know there's going to be people in tight probably, and they're probably going to be punching someone or using ray beams out of their eyes. You know, there's going to be something in there that's going to follow the tropes of comic book stories. There's going to be intense action and things like that. So if you open that book and it was just 22 pages of people sitting around talking about philosophy, clearly you've already broken the the biggest promise that your story has. True. Um, For the individual story, you know, when you open a story, uh, you know, Robert McKee talks about in his book Story, aptly titled, talks about the inciting incident, which is the thing that sets the story in motion. Mm-hmm. When you set a story in motion like that, you're also making an implicit promise to the reader, which is that what you've set in motion is going to be resolved somehow, um, that it's going to end in some way that's going to be satisfying. Um, you know, not all stories conclude in the traditional sense, you know, that like everything gets wrapped up and tied with a bow, Sometimes you're left hanging. Sometimes uh, you're just sort of dropped off in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But that ending should always come about as an appropriate response to what you started. So you know how you know you, you buy a novel, you open it up, you read the first ten pages, you kind of get an idea of where you think it's going. Right. You know, we've all had the experience of we get to the end of the book and we go, well, what the hell happened? You know, what this wasn't what I was expecting at all. Yeah. And so when that happens, that's a case of the writer failed to deliver on those promises. Do you ever find yourself not delivering? God, I hope not. <laughs> do you ever I mean, look I try. At, God do knows you ever, I try. Do you sit down and you do something and you work it out and then 
it looks like it's going all right, and then maybe when it hits the stands or it hits the presses, you might relook at it again because now we're several months down the line and go, oh, wait a minute, I didn't really, you know, carry this through as I as as good or as 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 I thought I was going to. I mean, that's some in, introspection. Well, I mean, and I'm sure everyone's their hardest critic. Sure. Uh, yeah, I think that, and you know, probably more often than than I should, or you know, more often than is, is probably maybe true, or at least I hope I do. Um, but there have certainly been, uh, you know, comics that I've written that are in print that you can buy, which I won't name, mm-hmm. um, where through a, a combination of factors, the the story that I began wasn't the story that I ended up telling. Yeah. And so, if if you read it all the way through, you would probably find yourself going. Huh. Well, that was weird. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And the thing about writing monthly comics, and, and this is something that that I've I've tried to get better at over time, is that oftentimes the book is on the shelf before you've even written the ending. You yeah. know, yeah. Because we only write comic books so many months in advance. So if you're writing a big storyline, there's a book on the shelf that you can't take back. And mm-hmm. so if you decide that your story was actually supposed to go in a different direction or was supposed to start a different way. Well, guess what? Too late, pal. Yeah. So you have to do your best. And this is one of the skills that, that every comic book writer has to develop. You have to do your best to resolve the story as best you can, given the fact that some of it's already set in stone. How, how, and that's possible to do, but it's very difficult. How far in advance do you write your issues? Well, um, we, we plan out the stories really far in advance. Um, you know, at the minimum six months in advance. Okay. Um, and especially in the DCU stuff, you know, a lot of the stuff has to be planned, you know, a year or more in advance because there are gears that have to interconnect, right? So, right, right. Um, but typically, you know, as far as set in stone, kind of like this is what's going to happen, uh, six months. Okay. Uh, and then you, you have an outline that you can kind of work from. And, and, you know, oftentimes things will change and, and sometimes, you know, a, uh, you know, a crossover will dip in or some kind of thing will happen where you'll have to switch gears and accommodate that. But that's just part of it. So, you you know, you roll with it and you do the best you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Last time we talked to, in addition to just comic book writing, you do some other writing. And I think the last time you were mm-hmm. on, I think the Midwinter had just come out or had been out for a while and you had talked about the sequel to that. Have, yes. you, have you moved ahead with that? What's the status of that? Actually, I just turned in the sequel. It's ah. called The Office of Shadow. Cool. I just turned it into my editor uh, on the 28th of October, so it's very recently. And I'm still kind of reeling from from having written it, because um, it was a you know it turned out to be like a third longer than I thought it could be. Wow. It was it was a huge uh, project, and it was the first time I'd written prose in a very long time after having written comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, it was weird. It was kind of difficult to get into the mindset at first, but I had to go back and rewrite a lot of what I wrote at the beginning because it was all very sort of clipped and terse, and the dialogue was very short and, and direct. And I realized that I was thinking like a comic book writer when I was writing it, you know, the notion that, you know, well, conversations have to be pretty short because you can't have 22 pages of someone just sitting around talking. Stuff right. has to happen comics. Um, but in a novel, you can have people talk as long as you want. And yeah, I was yeah. like, Wow, this is great. <laughs> so I, I finally kind of let loose and let things go the way that they needed to. And then it all just kind of worked out. For me. Do you find, I mean, that's a lot. You, you must, I mean, writing is your full-time job, but do you find that in times when you've got three to five comic book titles going on, 
and you're trying to write a book that everything is just packed together. And now that you've turned this in, you suddenly have this like certainly a weight lifted off your chest. But do you now say, now I have all this free time. What do I do now? What what's free free time? Yes, what well, is- I kind of feel the same way, but I mean, <laughs> you know that 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 uh, that twenty fifth hour of the day that you were using to write the, right. the, the sequel. <laughs> now, what do you do with that twenty fifth hour? Well, right now, what I'm doing is, is I, I, I spent a couple of weeks panting, trying to catch my breath, and now I'm uh, you know racing to get caught up on the comic book that uh, that I didn't write while I was uh, hurriedly finishing up the novel. Once I do that, you know, uh, hopefully I'll be able to slow down a little bit and uh, not have a heart attack. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that really thrives on, on, on stress and having a lot of things going on at the same time. So if I'm busy, I'm happy. And if I'm not busy, then I tend to fall apart a little bit. So oh, okay. I actually kind of prefer it that way. Well, and that's probably one of the reasons we contacted you is because you had you were up on Twitter the other day saying, oh, I'm finally getting caught up to messages and emails. And I thought, ah, now here's a good time to to bug you about being on the show because you obviously <laughs> yeah, got some free time. Yeah, I figured that there were probably people out there who, who thought I, I was dead, so it was a good time to, uh, to to let people know that I hadn't actually fallen off the face of the earth. So people can find you over at clockworkstorybook.blogspot.com. They can follow you cool. on Twitter at Matthew underscore Sturgis, or no, Matt underscore Sturgis. Uh, where yeah, else can Matt pe- underscore Sturgis. Where else can people find out what you're doing and... and where you might be signing or those kinds of things? Um, well, uh, I'm on Facebook too, Matthew Sturgis, and I tend to spend a little time there as well. Uh, Twitter's probably the best place to keep track of me because I'm always on there uh, dashing stuff off. And the Clockwork Storybook blog is a great place to sort of see you know, what we're all thinking about. I have a website that's matthewsturgis.com where you can get like the basic bio info and you can get in touch with me if you want to. Through that, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I guess, isn't that enough? Good God. <laughs> <laughs> Have we forgotten anything? There's so many things that you're working on and writing. Is there something that we've missed out or something that we want to touch on? Let's see. The uh, the latest uh, trade paperback of Jack of Fables just came out a couple of weeks ago. Okay. That's volume six, which is Jack's big book of war. Ah, good, good, uh, the, good story. Right. The Great Fables crossover comes out early next year. Now, does that collect everything in order? That collects all nine, nine chapters in okay. the order. Yeah, in the order in which they're meant to be read. Okay. Um, let's see. We've still got Blue Beetle going on. Uh, House of Mystery mm-hmm. uh, over at Vertigo is something that, um, starting in issue 21 uh, in a couple of months, we're sort of starting a whole brand new uh, sort of era of that book. That's a really good place to jump on if it's something that you've been meaning to check out, but uh, you know don't want to start in the middle. Right. You know, that's a great place to do that. And we had our Halloween annual that that came out that was uh, very very. I think it came together very well. And you know that's something to check out if you're interested in the book, but you know don't want to commit to the entire series. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack of Fables is also. We're doing something very different with that coming up. Um, we've sort of started to see how Jack Frost, uh, who is Jack Warner's uh, illegitimate son, right. uh, has started to have his own adventures. And starting in a couple of issues, uh, Jack Horner is actually going to leave the book for a while. And the book's going to take on a very different tone as Jack Frost goes and has a uh, 
extremely wild Roger Slavasny like adventure. Oh, cool. In a, a crazy, uh, uh, far future sort of world with gigantic millipedes and, and crazy witches and things in the sky and flying cars and it's just total madness. And, and Tony Aiken, uh, has stepped up his game to an unimaginable level. So when you see that story start in a few issues, I, I, I think Tony's art is just going to blow people's minds. Excellent. And then, are are you exclusive to DC? Do you have an exclusive contract with DC right now? I do. Okay. I do. So, so everything that I do, comics related, is DC. Okay, so we're not going to see you over on the Angel series or anything like that anytime soon. No, although wouldn't wouldn't that be fun? Um, <laughs> I, I would certainly be be more than happy to write one given the opportunity. All right. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. It's always a pleasure, and let's hope that it's not a whole nother year before you join us back on the show. <laughs> Well, you know, get in touch with me anytime, and, and we'll uh, we'll work it out. All right, excellent. All right, thank you, Matthew, and thank you, listeners. Be sure to check out the website, Majorspoilers.com. And remember, we'll be back on Tuesday with another show because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you then. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com, and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers Forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. Bad the X-ray vision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. If I was hulking green or gray I could just bust through that brick wall Take their comic books away But then the little meat would deal With all the tanks and bombs and guns Have you ever tried to read a series With all that going on Guess I need to rethink this plan How would I back and board my comics With such huge hands Guess I already told ya What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Stark Raven reads like a man of iron. Might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the hard cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fun be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler! What a major spoiler! Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2009.